0: I love our text today from the book of Revelation, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It's only five verses or four and a half, depending on how you want to uh, you know, count the 4a or 4b, whatever you want to call it. But speaking of the beginning and the end, I got to experience the beginning and end in a very small way at Thanksgiving. So if you'll permit me, I'd like to paint the picture. See, on that day, my sister-in-law issued a decree that a seat should be taken of the entire household around the table. Now, this was the main meal of the day, and everyone sat down where they were supposed to, or so they thought. See, in between the plays of the football game, in between the conversations and the kids running around, I snuck away. I snuck away to the room that is reserved for fancy meals and has that really long table that you add other long tables to so that it's a super ridiculously long table and we can all sit around. And I peeped where we would all be sitting. See I knew where the turkey was going to be placed. I saw the oven placeholders for the stuffing, you know, because it's super hot, you can't grab it, you got to use the thing, yep, okay. I took a look at the multiple bread baskets, the location of the butter the gravy pitchers and the spots where we were all supposed to sit according to the tiny name cat tags, and I didn't touch the placemats, I didn't switch the rolls in the basket, though lesson learned, next year I will be switching the rolls. My basket had a shortage of rolls and I need to make sure that there's more in it. Well, what I did was I switched the name tags. I switched the name tags forsaking my usual spot that I only sit in once a year, but as a Lutheran you've got to sit there. And I switched my spot... And I put it in the premier spot at the dinner table, which is not in front of the turkey, which is not in the middle so that I can hear all the conversations and kind of choose which one I want to be a part of. No, the premier spot is in front of the mashed potatoes. (laughs) See, I was the beginning and the end of the mashed potatoes. I would have that first scoop, which for anyone who has ever had the first scoop would tell you is the best scoop because you don't know how it's going to be when your whole family eats. So as the first scoop, you take as much as you want and you just kind of hope for the best. You're not in that middle where you're like, should I take a little? Should I take a lot? What's going on? And for those of you who are actually aware of this, have been practicing it for almost two or three years now, I apologize, but I needed a solid intro for the introduction here. So we're going to still continue with that. See, when you sit in front of the mashed potatoes, there is true Thanksgiving joy. There is peace, there is confidence unlike anything else. You can help yourself do as much as you want. When the refills come, they start always in front of you because that's where it goes. Now, it's a little bit different with the eating of the mashed potatoes during the middle, but I'm going to get to that in a second because today we're talking about Revelation. And whenever we talk about Revelation, we got to do some teaching and we also got to do some background knowledge. Now, the book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible written by the Apostle John, who received the vision. Now, whether Revelation was the last book written or not, it was the church's decision to place it at the end because it is the completion of of God's entire revelation. Nothing further would be revealed until the next coming of Jesus Christ because it is thus, in the culmination of the entire story of salvation, Old and New Testament, everything is drawn and completed in the book of Revelation where the reign of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of all His promises there. You see, in the book of Revelation, at the heart and at the center of this book is Jesus Not a secret theology, not something that we need to be afraid of. This is a book of pure hope and not a mystery to try and be solved. In fact, we see a very clear pattern in the book of Revelation. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and then it has this end. And see, in the middle, what is repeated three times is the advent of Christ, the beginning, right, followed by six scenes of destruction, and then a final seventh one. But in between the sixth scene of destruction and that final seventh one is the main important part, is God preserving his people in Jesus Christ. The three visions that are in the middle, whether they are angels or bowls, are parallel and they cover the same time period, namely from Christ's ascension to his return. They're not linear, they're not going to happen in order, but rather are cyclical. The same story being told three times which as you read it should help you see the message of that book and help with that sudden and horrible destruction that is prophesied. For in the end, the Christian stands ready for the coming of the Lord. We are encouraged in the hope of our faith regardless of sun being darkened, stars falling, wars or famines, and we are inspired for the mission that Christ has given us as his church because we are confident of where we began and where we will end. So I want to dive into our text now. You can grab a a pencil. I know the text isn't in your bulletin today, so it's going to be up on the screen, but if you'd like to have the Bible in front of you, you can pull it out. It's Revelation 1, verses 4b to 8. I give you permission to mark it with pencil in the Bible, then take a picture of it on your phone, and you can carry it along with you. Or if you have your own Bibles, mark them up, because we're going to see how in just a few verses, a lot is given And you're going to give me a chance to nerd out on some cool theology. Is that cool with everybody? I'm seeing a few holy nods, so we're going to keep moving. Here's verse 4. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne. Now, our text today begins with a form of a greeting benediction in which John is speaking those blessings of God's grace and peace. And what we see here in these verses is something that is unique. It is a Trinitarian imprimatur, which is a fancy Pastor Bob word, meaning it is a person's guarantee of something and its good standing and its validity. Now, why this is important is because basically we are seeing the Trinity addressed in a way that is unique in all the other books. We see God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit confirming the, valid, the validity of the message of revelation. So let's let's break down how we see this trinity. Now, it's real interesting stuff here. Like I said, whenever you're talking about revelation it always helps to do a little a little bit of clarifying. So here we go. Him who is and who was and who is to come. A lot of people stop here and say, "Okay, this is the trinity. This is the three gods in one." But really, this is an expansion on Exodus chapter 3 where God gives his name to Moses as I am who I am, or I am the one who is. Now followed by saying that, I am who I am, or I am the one who is, God then says that he is the God of their forefathers, of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. And then he also promises to be with the people of Israel in the future. So John is building on this and states that the ever-present I am, or one, is continually present. Now, as he was in the past, and as he will be, in the future. And then we're greeted by this next one, which is a little bit confusing, the seven spirits before his throne. Now, some say that this is in reference to seven angels or the seven archangels in the book of Enoch. But if these spirits, oh, will you go back? No, no, they we're still there. But if these spirits were angels, they would never be placed next to God and in between Jesus Christ. So what we can take away here is we've got to do a little number theology. Now, numbering is fun when you like to count 1 through 10 and whatnot. It gets a little bit harder. after have to get to 12. But think of it like this. The number 7 is always symbolized with God. 3 being for God for the 3 in 1, right? And just like we read in the Gospel reading with the four angels at the ends of the earth, right? 4 is the symbol for creation. So, when you put creation and God together, you've got the Almighty Himself, God, who rested on the seventh day. So, the number is used for God, for perfection, for completion, and for holiness. So, here the seven spirits represent the one perfect, complete, and holy spirit of God on earth. It's a reminder of that sevenfold gift of the spirit that is listed in Isaiah that will rest and bear fruit on the shoot from the stump of Jesse. That's Isaiah 11, if you want to look that up a little bit later in your Bible. And that's why when you keep reading Revelation, the Lamb always has seven eyes and seven horns. Because in short, the seven spirits represent the Holy Spirit in His sevenfold presence. God by His Spirit, always present with His people, fully present no matter one and then we get to verses five and six and in addition to the father and spirit the revelation comes from jesus christ from jesus christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom and priest to serve his god and father to him be glory and power forever and ever amen Let's start with verse 5. Hector, will you flip back just a little bit? Now the faithful witness, Jesus Christ, is the witness to the truth of God, faithful in his messianic mission, even unto death. He is called the firstborn from the dead because he rose after the third day. Death could not hold him. And he is called the ruler of the kings of the earth because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Even though he has ascended, he still rules earth. See, Jesus is described as the one who loves us and who has set his people free from their sins. And as a result, in verse 6, has made us a kingdom for God as well as priests to serve in his kingdom. I love this because we get to see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a very unique way. This is the only book in the Bible that so clearly lists the Trinity as the source and authority of God and placing it upon humans' writings. Which is why I do believe that this is a strong indication that not another word of God will be spoken until the Lord Christ comes at the end. And further, we as God's people must listen. For the time is near, this time of judgment for sure, but in particular, it is a time of blessing in the presence of the exalted Christ. So let's get into his word and to listen to it. Let's get to church to encourage one another and to be in fellowship around that word. And then we move into verse 7. And as you can see here, we've got a little quotation marks. It's kind of like drawing us back to the Old Testament where we see these actual words spoken before. It moves us in this part to the Lord's return, which is the big focus. And we see those familiar words that Jesus spoke to Caiaphas, right? Coming on the clouds. He did that at the trial and the night during the Passion. We see the whole human race will witness Jesus' coming and no one will be exempt from his confrontation with Jesus Christ. This one who pierced him and the mourn because of him all comes from Zechariah chapter 12. And so it brings to mind that even those who nailed him to the cross will see him. And while the rest of the world were mourn, in Zechariah 12, what we see is for those who belong to the house of David, to those who believe, God's spirit will be poured out and there is rest and peace for them. little more for the tuition dollar, only the gospel of John talks about Jesus being pierced by the spear. The other three do not. But what we can take away from this verse is that Christ, at his second coming, will be recognized by all as the one who is pierced. He will be the witness and confirmation of the truth that his death and resurrection makes him the savior and judge of the entire human race. And then we get to our final verse. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And here we see God himself speak directly. Now later on, Christ will be referred to as the Alpha and Omega, but it is only God in Revelation who is referred to as the one who is and who was and who is to come and as the Almighty. And I love this last line because it reminds me of the transfiguration, where at the transfiguration, the Father confirms the Son whom He has sent. This is my Son. Listen to Him. And now the Father is making it clear that for all creation, this is what happened, this is what is happening, and this is what will happen. The Father himself confesses that this spirit-given prophecy, this revelation about the Son, who was crucified and exalted Jesus, has its origin in himself and so, Take heed and listen, because the Lord started this story, and he will end it. Now... Back to the mashed potatoes, which I think will somehow tie in at the end. Now, here we go. Just like sitting at the beginning and the end of those mashed potatoes is wonderful, so is it to know that the Father as the beginning and the end is as well. Because knowing that God is the beginning and the end, that's true joy. There is peace in it. There is assurance unlike anything else because God brings us to himself. With no worry or no work on our part, he brings us, he gives us grace and mercy continually. And in the end, when the meal is done or your life is done, He is there to complete what He has begun. And like I said, there's great confidence in knowing how it ends. There's great confidence in seeing so much in front of you. But what good is it if you start and have the end with the mashed potatoes if you don't also eat them? It's like having a great gift but not opening it. The eating of the mashed potatoes. Well, that's the best and wonderfulest part to live in. And our text even describes the middle, the eating, the living piece in verse 6. You see, in verse 6 it says this, Him who loves us and has freed us from the sins by His blood, that's verse 5, He's made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God our Father. This is what we do while we wait and we watch, while we eat and wait and watch for the coming of our Lord. Hector, will you throw verse 6 up on the screen? Two things. He's made us to be a kingdom and he's made us to be priests to serve. In his kingdom, he has given a place for all eternity. He has given us this everlasting inheritance in Jesus, and not just that, but the kingdom itself has already come when he brought it with him. This life now, in it he has now given us purpose, not just forgiveness of sins and the resurrection at the end, but a life to be lived now in the middle. And so we as servants in this kingdom take off our own crowns of making our own choices and being our own rulers and rather lay those down at the feet of Jesus follow him and do what he would have us do looking to him for deliverance and trusting him as our guide and also to be priests to be priests that serve we just talked about this in confirmation priests have two main responsibilities and for the sake of not freaking you out i will list what those two priests what those two priests responsibilities are to pray and to offer sacrifices. See, in this life, prayer must be to us like breathing and water. It has to be natural like breathing and essential like water. Natural because it is the gift that God gives us to speak with Him. Natural as as two friends talking. There's no appointment necessary, no formula that must be followed, though it does help. But it's natural. It's, It's easy. And if you're sitting there wondering, well, My prayer is not natural. How can I get there? The easiest way to do that is to just simply start, to start right now. Start praying and speaking whatever it is that you want to say. Nothing fancy, nothing, you know, has to be done this way, just speaking to him. And as you get more comfortable, more regular in prayer, your prayer life starts to shape itself as God desires. But you have to first start because we must pray it is not an option and the second to offer those sacrifices. Well, like we joked with the uh, confirmants, we're not offering sacrifices of animals anymore. So what is our sacrifice? Well, we have to Romans 12, to offer our very lives as a living sacrifice. And while we understand that like the lambs or the other animals that were offered before, our sacrifices will be similar in word and deed because they are rooted in love, our sacrifices will be unique and different because each of us offers something unique and different. Each of our words and deeds that have been prepared in advance for us to do are given as a gift to us to be able to participate in. How they're done, when they're done, only God knows, but each of us get to offer what we can. And that is a profound promise that He has given us in this life now purpose that he would use us to bring about his will and desire, that he would use us to share his love. All of us play a part and participate in the life of his kingdom. In other words, nobody misses out on the mashed potatoes because it's like an endless supply of beginning and eating and end. And as we all know, there can never be too many mashed potatoes as long as the gravy keeps flowing. So our start, our middle, our end, all of it has been sealed in grace, in mercy, in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ. Amen.